0: Now, as we come back to Revelation 4, um, I'd like us to read through this like we did last Sunday and really like we've done that uh, two Sundays before that even. Um, But as we read through this again, I want you to remember that these verses and really this vision that the Lord Jesus gives to John of the throne room of heaven, it has a particular relevance to the churches that we've already looked at in chapters 2 and 3. So this is not disconnected from the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. This is a continuation of. Even though those were particular letters specifically addressed to those churches, the entire book of Revelation is addressed to these seven churches of Asia, which we considered last Sunday. And so, if you remember, there were two churches in particular that were struggling with persecution. Uh, Those were the churches located in Smyrna, as well as in Philadelphia. And so when you think about what they were facing and the issues that they were going through, and perhaps even some of the churches in our own uh, time and age that are going through bouts of persecution, they would have been greatly encouraged by this vision of God's throne, because no matter what they face, God is still on his throne, and he is still in control of everything and everyone that might try to accost his church. Uh, But if you remember, the other five churches were still struggling with purity, and that perhaps is where most churches even today are, uh, just like it was then. They were struggling with purity. And so, again, this throne room vision is something that would have exhorted them and admonished them because of the purity and the power of the God who sits on that throne. And so, again, there's a special relevance to the seven churches as we consider this. But what an amazing vision John sees starting here in chapter 4. And of course, all of this uh, really starts to look at the wonder of the throne, which Jesus shows to John. So let's go ahead and look at these verses together. After this, John writes, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And of course, we learn that Jesus is the holder of the keys, as well as the one who is able to open and close doors. And so this is one that is opened right into heaven for him. And the first voice, which I heard, was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. That refers to the first voice that he heard back in chapter 1. So this is the voice of Jesus talking to him. And he says, come up hither to John, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So after the things that were taking place in that time period in which those churches lived. And so immediately, again, Jesus lends power to his own word. Immediately, John says, I was in the Spirit. That's the second time out of four times that we find that phrase in the book of Revelation, indicating a an additional revelation, an additional uh, vision, uh, or at least a, a, an elevated vision compared to the first one. I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne, a throne was set in heaven, and one sitting on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow. Round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. If you remember, that rainbow was more like an iris, (laughs) Uh, not one that you see just a half of after a rainstorm, but probably an entire halo of color, of green color, green hues emanating from this throne. And so verse 4, round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast was like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle And the four beasts had each of them six wings about Him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Again, the imagination that we have to picture what John is describing really cannot go big enough and strong enough and perhaps even a little wild enough in our imaginations to see what John is seeing and to experience what John is experiencing, really to feel and hear what John is feeling and hearing because there is great wonder at this throne, the very throne room of heaven and the throne of God. And one of the things that we mentioned last Sunday is that Jesus is showing these things to John. And as Jesus shows these things to John, he's showing specific things about this throne and about the environment of this throne to John, which then John, because he was so steeped in the Scriptures, so steeped in the Word of God, he describes or even attempts to describe what he sees in that vision in biblical terms. And so that's something to keep in mind as we go forward all throughout the book of Revelation, is that the more you know your Bible, the better you will understand and appreciate What goes on in the book of Revelation? Because, again, he uses so much of the language of Scripture to describe what he sees. And so from verses 1 through 6, or the first part of verse 6, we were trying, our goal was, to look at that all last week, but we didn't make it. But John is working his way from the center of the throne all the way out to where these elders are sitting on their thrones, And he describes the glory and splendor of the throne in terms of colors, colors of precious stones. And these colors, which are like blue and purple and and kind of a, a reddish, orangish hue, as well as this greenish hue, all emanate from the one who sits on the throne, which is, of course, God the Father himself. And so again, when you try to picture this in your mind's eye, it's a scene of unimaginable glory and beauty and splendor because it is in the very heaven itself. And so again, we found there in verses 1 through 3, John describing how God, how Jesus took him up there and then shows him these things so that he might get a glimpse of the glory of God, God the Father, sitting on his throne. But then this is where we kind of left off a little bit last Sunday. Uh, If you look at verse 4, he describes something else that encircles the throne. So he's already showed us kind of what he saw from the colors that describe some of the beauty and the glory of God. Round about this throne, we're not told how far away from the throne these are, but round about the throne and all the way around the throne, so 360 degrees around the throne, he finds 4 and 20 seats. Uh, That word seat is just another word for throne. So we have God's throne, and now we have 24 thrones. And upon these thrones, I saw 4 and 20 elders sitting, being clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So again, a big circle around this big central throne are 24 other thrones where 24 elders are sitting. Now, these elders, or at least individual elders, members of this elder board, if you will, will continue to play a prominent role all throughout Revelation. Uh, Sometimes John speaks to an elder and sometimes an elder will speak to John. Other times we'll find these elders worshiping the Lord just like they do here in chapter four. Um, We kind of left off considering what or who these elders might be and what they might represent. Who are these elders? Uh, This is part of the blinks, I think, on your lesson guide here. Um, Some people think that they are men, right? Some people think they are men. That's your first blank there. Um, Whereas others think they are angels. That's right. We mentioned this last Sunday. Some think they're men, some think they're angels. And, you know, I kind of emphasize that there's pretty good reason to consider them to be men. Uh, There's also some pretty good reason for them to be considered angels. Uh, I personally lean toward the idea of them being angels or angelic beings of some kind, but most of the authors of the different commentaries that look at these these twenty four elders they consider them um, not just in their own right uh, they actually consider them to be representatives of the entire people of God um, twenty four sometimes would refer be referring to the twelve plus twelve the the twelve patriarchs of the Old Testament that represented the Old Testament people of God then um, of course, you have the twelve apostles of the Lamb that would uh, refer to and, dis- and represent the the Church of God even today, and so the twenty four would encompass all of the members of God's people, both Old and New Testaments. Um, there's also a uh, an idea here of the twenty four orders of priests that would wor- um, that would lead the worship of at God's temple in the Old Testament. Um, but either way, whether they are Um, men or angels, most believe that they represent the people of God as they worship God in this heavenly vision. And uh, one writer puts it this way, uh, these 24 elders are a kind of heavenly counterpart to the continuing people of God on earth. So again, they have this representation um, of God's people on earth, and they are worshiping on behalf of God's people. And so even whether they're men or angels, they are still functioning in that way as, as representatives. Um, one writer even puts it, these 24 will perform some kind of mediating function. In fact, there's one, uh, one description of how these elders are holding on to the incense, which is the prayers of the saints. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I would consider them separate from saints, separate from um, men, if you will. Um, because they have that mediating function. They are actually offering the prayers of the saints, not their own prayers, but the prayers of those who they represent. Um, but they do perform some kind of mediating function, which we'll get into as we go forward. Um, now, we looked at, at least in the King James, which is the underlying Greek is the received text. Uh, there are places in Revelation where they, they will say, um, thou hast redeemed us. Um, I think that is the stronger text, um, but there's the critical text, which a lot of the more modern translations are based off, off of, and you actually see the opposite, where they say, thou hast redeemed them. <laughs> and so just looking at the t- different texts, the different Greek texts, you really can't come away whether it's men or angels. You kind of have to come around the, the, whole, um, the whole picture there in the throne room of heaven because, like Andrew was saying, you have the myriads of myriads of angels, right? And then what's beyond the myriads and myriads of angels As you go forward in Revelation, you see the saints. Uh, Many of them have already been killed and martyred for the Lord. So when you start with God, and then you start with the living beasts, who are clearly angelic beings, which we'll see in a moment, then you have the 24 elders, and then you have the myriads of angels, and then you have saints, uh, more than likely because they're kind of encompassed by these angelic beings, they also would be considered angelic beings. But as I mentioned last week, it doesn't really matter. Uh, because either way, men or angels, they are doing a representation of God's people of all ages, representing them in their worship for the Lord. Well, let's move on to verse 5 of chapter 4, uh, because we, John continues to describe this scene for us. And again, that I think is a good word for us to use in our understanding of what goes on in these visions. They're scenes. They're not always dealing with events. Uh, many of these scenes are symbolic, just trying to portray some truth to John to capture what Jesus wants him to know. But there in verse 5, out of the throne, and uh, the picture that I kind of have, have you ever seen one of those plasma balls um, where it's a big round thing, and then you see this, these bolts of lightning almost coming out from a center circle, center, center sphere, and it hits the plastic on either end. And, and uh, you know, if you put your hand on it, what happens? You know, your hair's staying on end because of the static electricity. And so this is kind of the picture that I have in my mind, because out of this throne, again, there's that central sphere, if you will, proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices or sounds, it could be translated. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So out of this throne comes forth, first of all, other common displays of God's presence. That's your next blank there. Other common displays of God's presence. And these other displays of God's presence, besides the colors. You know, we talked about the purple, and we talked about the orange, and we talked about the the green. Now we have lightning and thunder and voices, uh, which really could be other sounds that accompany storms, uh, like strong winds that would accompany those. Uh, This gives us a picture, a glimpse back even, to what took place when God appeared on Mount Sinai to his people back in Exodus 19, where it says, "...it came to pass on the third day in the morning there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of a trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled." And so, again, back then, all the way back in Exodus 19, thunder and lightning and other sounds were all sort of a, uh, an, a, a picture and a sound of God's presence. And that's what we find here at the throne room of heaven. So the throne room was full of sights and sounds that symbolized God's power and presence. Now, lightning, and and especially thunder, as we probably remembered reading through the book of Revelation uh, the last couple of weeks, is going to be a very common theme throughout this book. And thunder and lightning is always a companion to the presence of God whether that is God the Father here in the throne room or even God the Son on his return to this world. Uh, in fact, we, we mentioned earlier that the theme of this, in book, this entire book is he comes with the clouds. And every time you see those clouds, guess what happens? You also hear the thunder and you see the lightning. Sometimes it's accompanied with hailstones as well. So we have this, again, a companion to the presence of God, and these symbolize the fierce and even fearful nature of God and his judgment. The Bible teaches that it is a fearful thing to fall into hand of a living God when we are not right with him, when we are not reconciled with him. And so again, we see, we see the majesty and the power and the splendor of God in both sight and sound on full display right here coming out of the throne. But then also, as you continue down this verse, we see right before the throne, John also sees these seven lamps of fire. So again, this is just a picture of, of of splendor and glory and brightness and light, um, all that is in the presence of God, these seven lamps of fire burning. And he already tells us what these seven lamps represent, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we already learned about the seven spirits of God in chapter 1. So if you keep your finger here and go back there with me. And again, there's a lot of connection between chapter 4 and chapter 1, which we saw last Sunday. Uh, Look at verses 4 and 5. And if someone could read for us, Revelation 1, 4, and 5. So this is a prayer, isn't it? If you go back to verse 4, he's praying, Grace be unto you, and peace from who? From him which is, which was, and which is to come. That would refer to God the Father. And then in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. And right in between there, who do we have? We have the seven spirits which are before his throne. And so here's a prayer to God in his triune form. God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because they are the source of the grace and peace we need. He would not pray to other angelic beings for grace and peace for his people. No, he could only get that from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So, it is the Holy Spirit who is described in this passage as well as in chapter 4. It is the Holy Spirit who is described as the seven spirits which are before his throne. Uh, There are some translations that put it as the seven spirits spirit of God. And we actually looked at what that sevenfold spirit of God might represent, uh, talking about his wisdom, his righteousness, and all of those things that, that even Jesus would possess. So here, just as at the beginning of the book, we see all three members of the Trinity at the throne of God, or we will soon see all three members of the Trinity at the throne of God. Uh, we will see the, of course, we just saw the invisible but glorious Father Again, we don't see the image. John doesn't see the image of God, but he does see these lights of His glory emanating from Him. Now we have the fiery sevenfold Holy Spirit, and when we come to chapter 5, we will find the Lamb of God, which is Christ Himself. So again, this is the Trinity on display in the throne room of heaven. But then, to finish his description of the environment of this divine throne, if you look at the first part of verse 6, Uh, He sees that before the throne, before this throne, there was also a sea of glass like unto crystal. Uh, The word sea here is is kind of just like you were to go to the ocean or go to the great lakes and you're going to see a a vast expanse of water. That's what we see when it comes to a sea. Um, But he does not see a sea or a lake, if you will, of water. This particular sea is like glass, calm and clear as crystal. So we're not told that there's any water in this sea, but it is like a sea. Again, where's the, there's those like and as's that you have to pay attention to in the book of Revelation. It is like a sea in that there are no waves, no ripples, no movement at all. It is placid and as peaceful as can be. Now, it may be that this sea was symbolized by the sea that was made and placed in the tabernacle and the temple that was contained by the bronze laver. If you remember, that was one of the the articles in the temple and the tabernacle that we learned about even last year, Christ in the Old Testament. And it was a, a big bronze laver, and it wasn't empty. They filled it with water. And that was something that separated the priests from entering into the presence of God in the temple or the tabernacle itself. And so this this sea was sort of a a symbol of the expanse that there is between God and men, between God and his creation. So it's a symbol of his transcendence. This sea separates the throne from the rest of the heaven, which shows us his transcendence, uh, which means he is above all that he created. He is above all that, that even is there in heaven itself. Um, this laver was a place also where the priests would cleanse themselves with its its water. Uh, You can see that in 1 Kings 7.23. But the difference between the sea of the Old Testament, that bronze laver, and the sea here in the New Testament, and especially in the book of Revelation, is that the water of that sea, the water that was held in that bronze laver, was always continuously troubled, wasn't it? think of the last time you may have taken a bath you know and and usually when you hop in that bathtub the water is not placid and calm without a ripple you know even as as slowly and as gingerly as you try to get into the water whether it's a bathtub or even a swimming pool there's going to be movement there's going to be troubling of that water right so the water there in the sea of the old testament in order for people to get to god was constantly troubled because they were impure and they needed to wash themselves with that water but here we have this sea that was like glass, likened to crystal. In other words, it is perfectly peaceful, which shows to us that heaven itself is also a place of purity and peace, peace of God for everyone who is there. So again, there's, I think, two ways that you can see this representing the transcendence of God, but also the peace of God so that people and angels can come before God and worship him. This is the wonder of the throne. This is the wonder of that throne room of heaven, and this is all that John was able to put into words. Um, But the glory of that place and the person of that place, we need to remember, is even greater. John has not seen everything that heaven holds for him and for us. He has only seen what Jesus is showing to him, because that is an invisible, heavenly, spiritual reality that he could only capture just a glimpse of. And so he captures what he wants us to know, that, what the Lord wants us to know. And so what we need to learn is to see things in the light of the wonder of his throne. So wherever we are in the, uh, you know, chapters 2 and 3, the different churches that we've looked at, whether we're dealing with persecution or even purity, we need to learn to see things in the light of the wonder of this throne. I like what Robert Mount once wrote concerning this passage. He says, a true insight into history is gained only when we view all things from the vantage point of the heavenly throne. See, when we're dealing with persecution or even purity, this throne room vision encourages us and exhorts us because God is still pure and God still is in power. So again, a true insight into history is gained only when we see all things from the vantage point of the heavenly throne. So that's the wonder of the throne uh, from verses 1 through the first part of verse 6. And then that leads us to the worship at the throne, the worship at the throne, and that is introduced to us next starting in verse 6 as well. So remember, from uh, the, the center of the throne out to the elders, John gives us a great picture. But now he's going back into the center, at the throne itself, closest to the throne, where he sees something else. Uh, Look at the latter part of verse 6. So in the midst of the throne now, so he's going back to the center, and round about the throne were four beasts, according to the King James, full of eyes before and behind. Now, beasts is not the best translation of the underlying word, which is the Greek zōon? Zōon actually comes from the Greek verb zao, which simply means to live, simply means to live. And so probably the best way to translate this, like most other translations have, are living ones, living ones. So again, verse 6, In the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four living ones full of eyes before and behind. And going forward, that's how we we will refer to them, uh, living creatures or living ones. Um, there are other beasts in Revelation, and we know that because of what we've read in Revelation. And that actually does come from the Greek word for beast. Uh, the Greek word is therion, and we will look more at those therions as we, get, uh, as we come to them, as we get closer to them. So these living ones are noted for their life. All right, They have life. Uh, they are living ones. Uh, They will actually be found in six more scenes in the book of Revelation. And so just like these elders, you have the 24 elders that surround the throne, and now you have these four living ones in the middle of the throne, they also have a prominent role through the rest of the book. Uh, They'll be mentioned again in chapters 5. Of course, that's the same time frame and the same period here. Uh, Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 14 and 15, and 19. So again, we cover practically the entire book of Revelation. We're going to find these living ones in one way or another. Now, the only um, interesting thing, or one of the interesting things about this, is in all but two passages are they mentioned with the elders. So here we're going to have the living ones with the elders. Uh, That will also be the case in chapter 6 and chapter 15. But in chapter 7, 14, and 19, you just have the living ones by themselves. Just kind of an interesting note. But these living ones are clearly very unique creatures that pretty much everyone agrees are some higher form of angelic beings. Uh, So where there is a little bit of debate as far as who the elders are, there's really not much debate as to who these living ones are. Once again, though, we need to remember that Jesus is showing to John spiritual, invisible realities so that he might see them and then describe them to us in biblical terms. So a lot of what John sees has symbolic meaning, which is found elsewhere in Scripture. And that's the same thing that we find here with these four living ones, who are, again, verse 6, full of eyes before and behind. Now, that's kind of a strange image to us. Um, We know that they have wings. We'll look at that here in a moment. But on these wings and on themselves, they don't just have two eyes They have eyes all over the place, within and without, all around them. It's kind of strange to think about. But it's a little like the living creatures that Ezekiel saw. And so again, John is describing what he sees in terms of the Bible, so keep your finger here, and let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. And we're going to read a lengthy passage there. Um, Because whereas John sees the throne room of God in heaven... If you remember, Ezekiel actually sees sort of a portable throne of God that is on earth, and it goes from place to place. And the wheels are kind of like the wheels of a chariot that has on top of it this sea, this expanse upon which is the throne of God. And so we're going to pick up there in in Exodus 1 verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 21. And I want you to Not only just think about what he's saying and what he saw, but think of it in terms of what John describes as well. So picking up there in verse 4, Ezekiel says, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself. And a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof is the color of amber. So now we have even red in the mix again. Out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. Again, that's where John gets the same description, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass, and they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. So each one of these angels had, or these living ones, had four faces And each of their four faces were these animals and man. All right, so verse 11. These were, or thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward, whither the spirit was to go. They went, and they turned not when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, And out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Continue on to verse 21. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of beryl, and they four had one likeness, and their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. So these are sort of the, the, the wheels that transport this this throne chariot when they went they went upon their four sides and they turned not when they went as for their rings they were so high that were that they were dreadful and their rings were full of eyes round about them four and when the living creatures went the wheels went by them and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth the wheels were lifted up whithersoever the spirit was to go they went thither with their spirit to go And the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. So we actually have kind of two different creatures, right? Verse 21, when those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. And you come back to Revelation 4 and you think, John and Ezekiel are speaking things that are beyond our comprehension because we can't fully picture what they saw. And yet, there's a reason why God showed both Ezekiel and John this image, these visions, because he wants them to know something about these living creatures who appear with him there in heaven. Now, the question comes as we head back to Revelation 4, are the living ones in Revelation the same ones as in Ezekiel? And I think when you look at the two different um, descriptions of them, you, you, you come to say, well, there's some similarity, but there's still a lot of differences there. Um, because when we come to verse 7 of Revelation 4, it says that the first beast was like a lion, the second beast was like a calf, the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now, those are the same images, but if you remember, each of the living ones in Ezekiel had all four of those, whereas here in John, we have four living ones with those separate appearances. So though there's some similarity, there's also some differences. So what this shows us is that, again, God is showing to both John and Ezekiel what he wants them to see. There is more in heaven than what they're seeing, more in heaven than what they're describing. And so he is giving these to them on purpose so that There's an underlying meaning for them to understand. So John is describing here in Revelation 4 what he sees in biblical language. It may be similar but not exact, not the same. But when we come to those eyes, the eyes that were on the rings in Ezekiel, they're now found on these living ones themselves. These eyes would represent watchfulness, knowledge, knowledge and even wisdom. Just like, you know, on the, the back of our dollar bill, right? You have the pyramid, and on top of that you have the all-seeing eye, which is a representation of God the Almighty, right? God and His all-knowing, His omniscience of everything. And so we have here these eyes, all of these eyes. Obviously they're not God, they're God's creatures, but they are watching. I mean, they're right there around the throne. It's kind of like they're the guardians of God's throne, even though He doesn't need anybody to guard Him. But they're watching, and they know what's going on, and they have great wisdom. And so that is where they are. We're going to just, again, go down to verse 7, then we're going to stop here. But we mentioned already the likeness of these, of these living ones. Um, they, they bear a striking re- resemblance to the living ones in Ezekiel. But, again, um, they, are, they are different. They are still different. Um, in Ezekiel, all of them had a likeness of a man. Here only one does. Uh, you can see that in Ezekiel 1:5. Um, and also here only one face is mentioned, whereas in Ezekiel there were four faces for each living one. So again, if they are similar beings or the same beings, John is showing or Jesus is showing to John only what he wants John to see about these spiritual beings for his own purpose and reason. Um, and I think as you look at these different features, they each represent something, all right? Um, so when you th- look at the first living creature that John sees, he says it's like a lion. It's not a lion. It's a living creature. <laughs> but it has features like a lion. Now, we're not sure what those features are. Could it be its teeth? Could it be its mane? Could it be his eyes? Could it be its nose? We're not told. It just has certain features which in some way represent the strength and the power and even the majesty, and that's probably your blank there, even the majesty of a lion. I mean, we think of the lion as the king of beasts. (laughs) And so that probably is a representation of majesty. Uh, The second living creature, like a calf. Uh, Now, a calf is a little different than a full-grown cow. So we're talking about a calf, a young cow, a, a young animal, a young livestock, with features that would represent strength, uh, probably youth and tenderness, innocence, uh, even like a young animal. But I think there's a a coordination between the lion and the calf here because just the fact that there's a lion-like creature and a calf-like creature coming together in heaven shows the peace that there is in heaven itself. This is the same peace that will exist on the new earth when in Isaiah 11.6 it says that the calf and the young lion shall lie down together. So again, there's no animosity, there's no angst, there's no, no enmity between the, the lion and the calf, but rather there's complete peace and, uh, amongst these beings. Um, the third living creature has a face of a man or a face as a man again. We don't know what those features are. Uh, They seem to represent wisdom. Uh, Man is the wisest creature that God has made in this world. Um, But I also think it represents the ability of this creature to look upon God even face to face, the access that this creature has to God. Now, if you remember, this access was restricted by the fall. In Ezekiel 33.20, the Lord even says to Ezekiel, you cannot see my face and live, and yet here is a, a living one, with the face of a man who is able to look upon the throne room of God and the throne itself, means right there, and he lives. He's still a living one. So this appears, this creature with the face of a man, appears in the presence of God at his throne, and he's fully alive. Uh, the fourth living creature is like an eagle, uh, not here just in its face, but in full flight, and that indicates its activity and swiftness before the throne. Now, what do these have to do with this heavenly vision? What do these have to do with the worship that goes on before the throne? Well, um, that's what we're going to pick up on in verse 8 and as we go through the rest of the chapter. But I think you'll see that these creatures, these living creatures, also play a role to represent something, to represent someone there in the throne room of God. All right, let's pray together. Gracious Father, I thank you again for the privilege that we've had to consider these verses in Revelation and really to be transported in our mind's eye into the throne room of heaven itself, which again is beyond description and even beyond our imagination. Even to the point, as Brother Art said, it is a mystery to us. And yet, it is a mystery that one day will be disclosed to us. Something that we will see in a glorious fashion without any further obstruction We will see you as you are, because we will be like you. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us to see our lives, see our history, see the events of this world in light of this throne, even today. And that, Lord, you will impress upon us not just the glory of these beings, but the glory of the one these beings will eventually worship in this chapter. Because, Lord, you are greater than all. You are more more worthy than all. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us to join with them in their worship. We pray, O Lord, your blessing for our service to follow. In Jesus' name.